Well, praise the Lord. I, I appreciate that testimony um, and giving us a peek into your life journey, uh, Dennis. Um, I, may the Lord bless you as you continue on that journey. I have one simple goal this morning, and, and, and that is to uh, uh, complete my exposition of the fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. So I'm, I will continue giving uh, attention to uh, this great portion of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. However, that's a simple goal. It's uh, more complicated to get there because um, there are certain things that we need to understand as we uh, look at uh, uh, coming forth from our lives the fruit of the Spirit. Um, so this morning, I'm going to begin by uh, reading the text from Galatians chapter 5, which you turn with me if you have your Bibles, to Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, verses 16, 17, and 18, and then jump down to verse 22 to the end of the chapter. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. If ye, if ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So I'm going to begin this morning by just uh, reiterating a number of things that I've said before. Uh, Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 3 in verse 1 that to repeat oneself is safe. And so I think it's safe for me to do that this morning. Uh, it, I, I believe Paul was saying it's conducive. It's safe because it's conducive to understanding uh, God and the scriptures. So uh, I want to uh, repeat several things that I've said before uh, as we uh, were attempting to give exposition to this uh, passage in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the first thing that I want to say, want to reiterate, is that there are two driving desires inherent in every child of God. 
Now, before I, I uh, expand on that just a bit, let me reaffirm what the great theme of the book of Galatians is all about. The great overall theme of the book of Galatians is Paul reaffirming that the only way that one can be a child of God, the only way that one can be redeemed from his sins, the only way a person can be changed in the deep inner being of his personhood is, through, is by coming to God through, through the atoning work of Jesus and finding the forgiveness of sins and being made a new person in Jesus Christ. I just want to affirm that. That's the overall big picture that we have in the book of Galatians. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that you become a child of God. So two driving desires in every, in, that is inherent in every child of God. I'm referring to verses 16 and 17, which I just read. Incidentally, verse 17 is really, it puts it in a nutshell and, and depicts the, the raging conflict described in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 23. The difference is that in Romans chapter 7, Paul describes two opposing laws battling for dominance in the human personality in a child of God, rather than two uh, opposing desires. But it's really the same thing. So there are two opposing desires inherent in every child of God. And in verse 17, here in Galatians 5, it refers to these two driving desires as the, the lust or the desires of this thing called the flesh. And, the, uh, and so the, the other is the, the uh, uh, desires or the, the lust of the spirit. So there are two driving desires. These two lusts, desires, oppose each other. And you know that. <laughs> if you've battled with life's issues in your life, you know that. Now, if I shock you by using the phrase lust of the spirit, then you can talk to me after, okay? <laughs> the, uh, but, but there are two opposing desires. It's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And someone who is not a child of God, who has never been born again by the spirit of God, 
who, uh, who does not know what it means to walk with God, that person has only one driving desire, inherent driving desire, and that is the lust of the flesh. And, and uh, if you want to know what the lust of the flesh is, then you need to read verses 19, 20, and 21. And to save time, I'm not going to go there, but uh, please take note of that. Um, and so uh, the... Uh, so there are for, but for a child of God, there are two opposing desires. And uh, we, we need to take notice of that. Um, now, allow me to, uh, to go to the exposition of the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, before I do that, let me also reiterate the fact that, the, that uh, producing the fruit of the Spirit is, is not uh, accomplished by uh, what I have called a contrived goodness. In other words, spirit fruit does not come about by a contrived action on my part attempting to produce spirit fruit. Spirit fruit does not come about by me working at developing the moral virtues of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. The spirit of the fruit, the fruit of the spirit springs forth in our lives as a result of us walking in the spirit. It's a fruit, after all. So it comes, it springs forth as a result of walking in the spirit. That's verse, verse 16 through 18. Um, I would venture to say that most of us are puzzled what it means to walk in the spirit. But it's important that we know what it means to do so. So I'm going to suggest that after we dismiss here in about an hour, that instead of talking about the weather, or how your week went, or about world conditions around us that you explore with each other, what it means to walk in the spirit. After all, how do you walk in the spirit. Explore that a question with each other. I encourage you to do that. Now, having said that, an introduction to the uh, fruit of the spirit, let me look at uh, the fruit of the spirit itself. 
The fruit of the Spirit is uh, enumerated, is found in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Here we have nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, as I indicated four weeks ago, and I'm still of the mindset that the fruit of the Spirit listed, is listed here in three clusters of fruit. So you have cluster number one, love, joy, peace. That's cluster number one. And uh, I, um, I gave brief exposition of these, um, those three things four weeks ago. I would only reiterate that love, and he's talking about agape love. Love is the primary virtue and is essential not only to peace and joy, but it is essential to all of the other six virtues highlighted here in the text. I, uh, this past week, I happened to pull out an old multi-translation uh, New Testament off of my shelf, and so I had written this on the flyleaf of that page. It said, and I, it was, what, what I had written was, joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. <laughs> Gentleness is love's true touch. Goodness is love's true character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Meekness is love's self-forgetfulness. And temperance is love holding the reins of your life. I like that. <laughs> That's what I mean by, by uh, that, that love is, uh, is important, uh, is uh, a driving force in all of the uh, eight, the rest of the, the eight fruit of the spirit that are mentioned here. Well, so the first cluster was love, Joy, peace. Cluster number two. I uh, find in verse 22, when he talks about long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Long-suffering is an interesting word. That is sort of self-explanatory. Um, this spirit fruit causes us to suffer long. <laughs> In other words, long suffering. It causes us to suffer long and be 
patient, which is, I dare say, not very natural to any one of us. It is a fruit of the Spirit, after all. But to be patient with one another. Well, we enjoy it when others are patient with us. But it's not easy to be patient with others. Love, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, suffereth long, there you have it, and is kind. Sometimes we can suffer long, but at the end, we're a little bit snippety. You know what I mean <laughs> about it? <laughs> Love suffers long and is kind. And he goes on to say, it's not easily provoked. You know what it means to be provoked? You've been there, done that? <laughs> yes. But so, so long-suffering is one suffering long with my fellow human being. Gentleness. Gentleness and kindness go together. Gentleness and kindness will cause us to handle our relationships one with another with care, with delicate care, if you please. Recently, I took notice how Paul admonishes believers, children of God, not to retaliate with evil for evil, but to return good for evil in the context of our brotherhood relationships. Now, this, when, I, when I noticed that, that this, this surprised me. I, I always thought that this matter of returning good for evil is something that takes place only in the context between Christians and non-Christians. But suddenly I noticed that Paul uh, talks about it in the context of the church in the context of brotherhood relationships. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, we were gentle with, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. Yes, gentleness. Then the, the third uh, part of this cluster, the fruit of the Spirit, is goodness. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And goodness is often interpreted uh, to, to, mean, to mean moral excellence. Lenski interprets goodness here to mean the bestowal upon others what is good and beneficent. 
Vine says that this spirit of, spirit fruit of goodness means doing good to others. So it becomes very practical. Also notice Galatians 6 and verse 10. It says, as you have therefore opportunity, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. There you have it, goodness, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Goodness. The third cluster of spirit fruit that we have depicted here in Galatians chapter 5 is faith, meekness, and temperance. Faith, the, the spirit fruit of faith. There's, there's a, a lot of controversy as to what fruit of faith this is referring to, what this fruit of faith is referring to. So I'm going to go along with Vincent's word studies as well as Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words when he says they, uh, when, when they interpret this to mean faithfulness, faithfulness or fidelity, which is the secondary meaning of the word faith in the original text. But it's the, the, the spirit fruit of faith has to do with trustworthiness, fidelity. Meekness or humility is primarily, primarily an attitude we have toward God as well as toward others. But primarily it's an attitude that we, we have toward God which causes us to humble ourselves, as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We submit ourselves to the mighty hand of God, which causes us not to resist God or the will of God. It's also an attitude we carry or manifest toward others, and especially our brother and sister in Christ. And it causes us to be considerate of them. I, I, I really like the idea of meekness as meaning self-forgetfulness. It, it has to do with living our lives not focused on self, but focused on God and focused on others. Finally, in this last cluster of spirit fruit, you have the, uh, the fruit of temperance. This is often interpreted as meaning self-control. However, I like to think of it as being under the tight control of the spirit. <clears throat> under the tight control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
And it is not in the capacity of self to control self, <laughs> but is the result of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, holding all of our desires and our passions in check um, under the Holy the the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit. Yes, holding all of our desires and our passions under control, under, in, in check. I remember when I was, uh, uh, when I grew up Amish, and uh, that uh, uh, what, it, what it had to do, what it, how it felt to be driving a horse and uh, putting a bridle and a bit in, in the mouth of the horse and then holding this thousand pound animal in check. Um, uh, and um, under control. Well, <laughs> uh, James reflects on that when he says that, uh, you know, the, the most difficult thing to hold in check is the tongue. You know, we, we, uh, we control horses by bits and bridle, he, he indicates. You know, hold them in check by bit and bridle. We, uh, we, we control huge ships, you know, <laughs> by, what do you call that, the back of the ship, that guides and directs the ship. Um, but uh, he goes on to say that the, the tongue of a man or a woman uh, is, is, um, is a world of iniquity, <laughs> James says. And... Um, it's difficult to keep it in check. Um, but, but if you walk in the, in, in the spirit, the Holy Spirit will enable you to keep that little tongue that he calls a world of iniquity in check, temperance. That's, that's the, uh, the possibility of temperance. So here we have uh, nine fruit of the spirit, three, what I refer to as three clusters of spirit fruit. And uh, may, uh, may, the, may the Lord uh, bless us this morning by uh, um, enabling us to uh, produce, to bring forth by the, the power of the Spirit these nine spirit fruit. Uh, in, in conclusion, um, 
Paul says in, in verse uh, 23, 20, I, I'm sorry, yes. In verse 23, he says, against such there is no law. In other words, Paul is saying, you can't have too much of the fruit of the Spirit. You, you, you really can't overdo the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the, uh, while 1 Corinthians 9.25 tells us to be temperate in all things, this does not apply to the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> The law was given to restrain sin in the life of a sinner. But against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no restraint necessary. There's, there, there, is, uh, there is no law, Paul says. And now I would like to um, conclude um, by looking at... Uh, the three things that Paul says in the conclusion of chapter 5, beginning at verse 24, 25, and 26. Paul says three important things that are very significant to us here in these last three verses. Believe it or not, if you give me another five minutes, I am going to get out of Galatians chapter 5. I've been attempting to do that for the last five sermons. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, finally, I, I believe I'm going to accomplish that this morning. Um, but here in, in, these, uh, in the last three verses, um, Paul gives... Uh, uh, three reminds us uh, that there are three important dispositions of uh, the one that uh, of him that is that has to do with the, the bringing forth of the spirit of fruit. There are three important dispositions of the soul that uh, are imperative to anyone, any one in an ongoing way in uh, bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. And here I, I use the word disposition to refer to what I sometimes call the poise of the soul or an attitude of the soul. So uh, I'd like to conclude by noticing these three uh, dispositions that Paul gives in verses 24, 25, and 26. In verse 24, he says, And they that are Christ's, they that belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Here you have a, 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 a very sure characteristic of those who belong to Christ. I understand that in the original text, verse 24 is very emphatic. 
they that are Christ, they that belong to Christ, they that are born again, they that are, have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A, a, a key disposition of such a person, without exception, that's the implication. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're from Galatia, from Corinth, or Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you are a Methodist, a Baptist, or a Mennonite. They that are Christ's, all that truly belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh. You know what that means. They have denied self, as Jesus would have said. They have said no to any and all sinful impulses. With the affections and lusts thereof. This is a, a very forceful characterization of all those that belong to Christ. They have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That is the, the first disposition that is so important for us to understand. The second disposition, disposition is that we must continue to keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The implication is that if we live in or by the Holy Spirit's empowerment, then we must also walk in the Spirit. And the word walk here is different than the word walk in, in verse 16. The word walk here means to keep in step uh, with the Spirit. Um, there is no taking a break from this process. The fruit of the Spirit is not produced in a vacuum, you have to keep in step with the Holy Spirit all the way. Now, the third important disposition is that we must guard against being desirous of vain glory. This is a rather interesting one. Um, vainglory is an intriguing word. Here it is given as two separate words. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it is a single word. Uh, there it says, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. What's vainglory? 
Well, to be vainglorious is not too difficult for any one of us. Um, to be vainglorious is to have a high and haughty opinion of oneself, which causes one to look down on others. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 12, it refers to it as making a fair show of the flesh. That's an interesting phrase. <clears throat> Vincent's word studies again uh, tells us that vainglory is having a vain conceit of possessing a right full claim to honor. And I am by this attitude, being vainglorious, attempting to prove others, provoke others to envy me. That's what is indicated in this, in this verse. Again, I go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 4, where it says, love vaunteth not itself. Now, the, the word vaunt is uh, a twin to vainglory. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, what does it mean to be puffed up? Um, you understand the feeling? You, you understand the, uh, when, when you're, what happens when you're puffed up? Uh, that reminds me of uh, when uh, I went deep sea fishing back when I was about 16 over by the Delaware shore. Uh, and... Um, and, and every once in a while, while we were out in the, in the ocean uh, fishing, we'd catch this fish anywhere from four to six or eight inches long. And as soon as you pull it out of the water, it, it pulls itself, it, 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 uh, it inhales air, and it, it, uh, it, it, it puffs up, literally. And it, it looks like a round ball with a little pointed head and a, and a pointed tail on the back end. Um, it, uh, it puffs itself full of air. And uh, you, uh, you can take it, and you can take it off your hook and bounce it on the floor of the boat, and it'll actually bounce. It's, it's puffed up that tight. What it, what it really is, this is really a, a, a self-defense mechanism. <laughs> you get it? You know that when you are puffed up, <laughs> that it's a self-defense mechanism. Um, so, uh, um, yes, that's vainglory. 
That's one aspect of it. Um, I, I really want to tell you a story uh, about when uh, I was puffed up as a 16-year-old living in this community. <clears throat> and as some of you know, we, we farmed neighbors to, uh, to the bilers and to the millers uh, who lived in the, on the reed farm on the other side of the tracks. And of course, uh, Simon Byler and myself uh, were friends. And uh, we, uh, we did a lot of work together. And when we, when we made hay, we, we helped each other make hay. When we filled silo, we helped each other fill silo. And so we, 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 Simon and I, uh, spend a lot of time together. And uh, we were driving horse and buggy in those days. Um, and um, one, one of the, one of the um, points of discussion between Simon and I were, who has the fastest horse in this, in between them and us, the bilers and the shrocks? You see, when I was uh, turned 16, my father uh, gave me a horse. His name was Not Guilty. And uh, he, he was a very high-strung horse. Um, and uh, if you weren't careful, when you hitched him up, he would balk. You know what that means? You, you would you would want him to go to, and, and you'd slap him on, the, on his haunches with the rein, and he'd just rise up on the front, and, and he, he wouldn't go. And you couldn't make him go. He was puffed up. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but once you got him going, he could run like the wind. And I was... I was pretty proud of uh, being able to drive a horse like this. So um, I, uh, I, I admit to you that uh, once in a while, not very often, but once in a while, I would hitch not guilty up in a little cart, just a two-wheel cart, and um, I I'd come down Route 28, past the Byler farm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like I indicated, when you have, you, 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 you have uh, this, you have a, Britain, a bitten bridle, and you, you hold this 1,000-pound animal under control. And when you do that, his head arches up like this, and he sort of raises up on the front feet, and he just sort of prances down the road. And so I'd hold him back as we come down past the Byler farm. And then I'd come down to uh, uh, 606 here. Uh, yes, uh, we were driving horse and buggy on Route 28, believe it or not. <laughs> it was, there was not a lot of traffic in those days. 
I'd come down to a 606 and turn not guilty around. And I'd turn him loose. And as we come up past the Byler farm, I hoped Simon was watching. <laughs> because I let him go. And I want to tell you that he ran like the wind and just shoom up the hill and, and over to our laneway. I, I was really attempting to provoke envy in my friend Simon. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what Paul is warning against here. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I'm going to assure you of the fact that when you Walk in step with the Spirit. You will not be being glorious. You will be under the tight control of the Holy Spirit. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As you go from here today, God bless you. I, I again encourage you to know what it means to walk in the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. And out of that will flow, out of your life will flow the fruit of the Spirit, which is not natural to a sinful man. It's only possible by one who has been born again by the Spirit of God, one who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. God bless you as you produce this week the fruit of the Spirit by walking after the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit. Bless you and will you stand be dismissed. Thank you, Lord, for this passage from your word. I thank you for the way it speaks to us. And thank you that you, through your spirit, living in the very center of our being, are able to 
keep us in check. You keep us from being vainglorious. You keep us from being proud. And you keep us humble before you. And you bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I want to thank you for that. Lord, I, I thank you for each one present here this morning. Lord, I pray that somehow you would speak deeply into the heart and life of everyone present this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.